Hey, welcome to East Brainerd. I want to echo what has already been said, that we are very thankful for you being here with us this morning and hope that your time here is going to be something that will uplift you and get you ready for whatever you're going to be tackling this week. If you were not able to be with us last week, you need to know that, that we learned that we are all sleepers. Now, I know the rumor was going around, I was talking about what we do during church. That is not it. That's not, that's not the answer to a Jeopardy question. What, you know, what do people do during Chris's sermons? It's not we are all sleepers, okay? Uh, but we are sleepers in the sense that we are very much like the characters in the television show Once Upon a Time. I don't know if you've had an opportunity to watch this. It's off the air now. You can binge it now on Netflix. But just like our favorite fairy tale characters in Once Upon a Time, we have been cursed to an existence where our true lives and our identity and our value and, and our very worth have been hidden. And we're asleep, but we don't realize that we're asleep. Where we're going through our lives, we're going through the motions, and we're in this dream state, and we believe that, well, the way things are are just actually the way things are. This is the only existence that there is. And that's why there are so many who are content just to take life easy, eat, drink, and and be merry. And just like Sleeping Beauty and Snow White lie there oblivious to everything that's going on around. And the end result is that when we live for our passions and we live for whatever it is that we want to consume, we lie and we cheat and we steal, we hurt and, and then we are hurt by others. We are overcome by fear. We lose hope. But every once in a while, Every once in a while, there are these moments where God breaks through into our lives and we are awakened to a world that we have forgotten actually existed. Like Ebenezer Scrooge and how he awakened to his miserly past, perhaps as God speaks into our lives, we awaken to our failure, perhaps as husbands or wives or the way in which we have thrown ourselves into everything at work, but not spending time with family. Or maybe it's the reality that we have been living in bitterness, or maybe that we have been living in anger. Maybe it's that we are not generous, that we are miserly. Perhaps it, when God speaks, we awaken to a new passion. And perhaps that passion is for something that is, that is healthy and something that is good and, and God-honoring. And maybe you have awakened to a new passion for, I don't know, for music, for, for rock climbing, for a calling to fight racism or, or poverty. Or maybe you've even been awakened to the presence, the prayer presence of God. See, that's what happens in the scriptures. It's a story of awakening, story of awakenings. And over and over again, the story of the Bible points us to another reality, you read through the different pages there in Scripture and you see there is another world and there is another existence and there is another life. And if only we could awaken to that other reality, then we could see things from a different perspective. To help in this endeavor during 2020, we're going to, well, I said we're going to need to do some mountain climbing because mountains are where heaven and earth comes together. A mountain to see the earth and earth and everything that is around us from a new perspective. 
On a mountain, we are elevated from what is normal. We are taken out of the valley. And obstacles that maybe once loomed very large now look very small. Is on a mountain that we receive a, a new gift. And it's the gift of a vision. And I think that's why that often the Bible people encountered God on mountains. They are mentioned hundreds of times. Moses would meet with God at a burning bush in what was called the, in what was called the mountain of God. It was on Mount Sinai where God would make his covenant with his people. It's at that same place that they would pull back and choose to keep God at a distance. It was on a mountain where Elijah would hear the still, small voice of God. And mountains played an incredibly large role in the life of Jesus. It was on a high mountain that he renounced the temptation to, to receive all the kingdoms of the world. It was on a mountain where he chose his disciples. It is often the location of the most famous talk in human history, the, the Sermon on the Mount. And the most famous and influential death in history was on a hill that's called Mount Calvary. And the most influential mission in history to make disciples of all the world, to call people to be followers of Jesus Christ, took place on the mountain where he had told his disciples to go. Mountains have an incredible place in Scripture. And so over 2020, we're going to spend some time doing some mountain climbing. And we're going to go and look at some things that took place on high on top of mountains. And we need this because, well, it's best described in a book named A Secular Age by Charles Taylor. In that book, he explores how that here in our Western society, it has become more and more difficult for people to believe in God. 500 years ago, it was not as difficult as it is today. It was hard for people, in fact, not to believe in God. But today, even those who say, I am a believer, oftentimes live in a valley of doubt. And we live in what he calls an imminent frame. And he describes it as a boxed-in way, as if we were living inside, living inside some giant terrarium. We're living inside, and the lid is on top, and we don't recognize the world that is going on around us. And so we need a mountain. In fact, we need a lot of mountains. And so that's why we're going to be putting on climbing gear this year, and we're going to be taking some, some day hikes, and sometimes we're going to be climbing and just camping up on top of mountains for, for weeks at a time. Because Scripture says there is another world. Things are not what they seem. And that's why the story of the Mount of Transfiguration plays such a prominent role in the New Testament. It is our journey through the wardrobe. It's our journey down the rabbit hole and, and up the beanstalk. It, it glimpses us to another world and awakens us. I think it awakens us to God. Matthew chapter 17, if you'd like to open your Bibles there. It says that Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. And as the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Jesus takes them up on the mountain and he rips the lid off the terrarium. And Peter, James, and John look at Jesus and he is transfigured, the text says. Metamorphosed is what was originally written it is the root of the English term metamorphosis, and it's a word that means that you change form in keeping with an inner reality. 
Jesus takes these men up on the mountain and he allows them to see, to have a glimpse of his inner essence. Jesus is saying, look, this is who I am. I know you think you understand me. I know you think you see me, but let me allow your sight to be a little clearer. Our text says that his appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as, as white as light. You know, there was a, a deep con connection in the ancient world between transcendent glory and shining light. And you see even that connection in our day and time. Whenever you have grandparents and grandchildren together, it is often said that grandparents, their face beam, right? Or if you talk about a bride on her wedding day, what's often the most common adjective that's used? She looks radiant, right? We use those terms. By the way, there is no word to describe a groom on the wedding day because apparently no one cares. I mean, we all talk about the bride, but, you know, good luck, groom, showing up, you know, just, just make it there on time. I wonder if in that moment of metamorpho, if the three disciples remembered their Torah at all. I wonder if they remembered their Old Testament. And the fact that in Exodus it says that Moses came down from Mount Sinai and he was not aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. Or perhaps the word of the great Old Testament blessing crossed their mind from Numbers. The Lord make his face to shine. Upon you. I wonder if any of that went through their mind as they watched the shining face of Jesus. I don't know. What the text does tell us is that the metamorpho was almost missed. We have up on the screen Matthew's telling of the events, but Luke's retelling of this same time says that Peter and the others had fallen asleep. Yeah, they, they had fallen asleep. And I know sleeping is this, this great mystery because we don't really know when it happens. I mean, let me, just, let me just see a show of hands. How many of you, you sit and you're in your recliner at home, you're on the couch, you, you're watching the, the, the kids' baking challenge or you're watching, you know, the Titans win last night and all of a sudden someone in your family starts laughing at you because you have fallen asleep. Has that ever happened to anybody, Right? Anybody ever gotten laughed at because you fell asleep while you were watching something on television? Look, some, Steve, yeah, you need to get your hands up. I know, he's like, yeah, I know. I mean, wife and daughter are saying, they're going, Dad, raise your hand, come on. You know what that's like, and you were sitting there, and you were watching the show, and you were into whatever it was, and then all of a sudden you're asleep, and you don't know how it happened. You don't know what took place. All you know now is that you were drooling down the side of your mouth, and you're being told of strange sounds that were coming out of you. It's a mystery. When we sleep, we are dead to the world, and yet the world around us is, is still there. I got a couple of photos of this. You got to be careful where you fall asleep. <laughs> now, I'm going to tell you, that happened in a college dorm somewhere. I guarantee you, right? I remember being in college, and we would go on runs sometimes where we would go into... Um, we would go into some of our friends' apartments. Uh, normally they would wake up by the time that we had um, intruded into their space, but we were known to saran wrap them to their mattress. And, and, and some of my, my friends were known to, um, you know, take the person who was saran wrapped to their mattress and carry that mattress outside and put it on top of a, a car. And, 
you know, you got somebody in the front seat on both sides, and you roll the windows down. Somebody gets in the back seat on both sides, and you just reach up and hold on the mattress, and you drive around campus. I mean, it was good fun. That's what you do when people fall asleep when they're not supposed to. Or, or maybe, maybe you have situations like this. Oh, sound asleep and oblivious to the world that is around him. Get that off. Go back. Get, get it off. Peter and the others had fallen asleep. They fell asleep and they only woke up. It is only when they woke up that they saw Jesus' glory. And Luke uses a word here that means fully awake. Fully awake. It's only used in Luke chapter 9 and verse 32. And it emphatically expresses how the sleeping apostles were utterly shocked into full alertness. The light of Christ, this transformation that took place, this metamorpho served as an amazing alarm, waking them not only from their physical sleep, but also from a spiritual one as well. And friends, it's the reason we need to go to the mountain. Because sin causes us to miss the reality of God. Our sinfulness lulls us to sleep and we miss the reality of God that is all around us. And oftentimes it seems we will never wake up. We are the one that's lying there with the snake of sin wrapped around us and we don't even realize it. The English poet Francis Thompson wrote a haunting poem it's called The Hound of Heaven. It deeply moved Christian thinkers, G.K. Chesterton, J.R. Tolkien, and John Stott. It has touched people for centuries. It's a picture of God pursuing human beings, relentless as a hound, for the purpose of love and redemption. He wrote, I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind. And in the midst of tears, I hid from him. But thankfully, God pursues the runners. And God pursues the hiders. And yes, God even pursues the sleepers. Those who hide from him in our sins. Those of us who try to escape with our loves and fears. And, and those of us who flee him to a dream world. There he is, waiting, praying that we will awaken. Praying that we will see what is there to be seen. Awakening happens for two disciples as they are traveling a road to a place called Emmaus. The resurrected Jesus appears to them. They don't recognize him at first because, well, they, they are asleep. All they can see is dejection and defeat. He sits with them at an ordinary table, shares an ordinary meal of bread, breaks it and gives it to them. And Luke says that their eyes were opened. And he uses this phrase, their eyes were opened. And it's the same phrase that the Genesis writer used to describe the life of man and woman after they had disobeyed God. You see, when you read the story of the creation, you find that, that after Adam and Eve had taken from the fruit from which they were forbidden, we're told that their eyes were opened as well. Their eyes were opened and they saw things from a totally different perspective. And now Luke uses this same phrase, only this time eyes are opened to God and the hope into the life that he offers. 
You see, with awakening comes the possibility of not just seeing the light, but becoming part of it. It is seeing and becoming. Jesus once told ordinary listeners who by no means considered themselves to be spiritually radiant, he said, you are the light of the world. So let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You're the light. You see and you become. C.S. Lewis wrote for many years, he didn't really understand this idea of radiance. It didn't really make a lot of sense to him. In fact, he once said, quote, who wishes to become a kind of living electric light bulb? Who wants to be that? But then he came to see a deeper meaning behind this whole idea when Jesus says, look, you guys, you're the light of the world. There is a light that you have that is so impressive and that is so powerful. C.S. Lewis wrote, we do not want merely to see beauty. We want something else. We want something else which can hardly be put into words. To be united with the beauty that we see. To pass it, to receive it into ourselves. To bathe in it, to become part of it. And someday, God willing, we shall get in. Jesus said, let your light shine. He doesn't say try harder to make your light shine. Lamps don't have to try to try that hard to shine. They just glow based upon what's on the inside. You see, Christ's light serves both to awaken us from sleep and to illuminate our wakefulness. Paul would write that as we live according to God's light in our lives, the result is that we shine. We shine as stars in the sky as we hold firmly to the word of life. You know, I know it might surprise you to learn that the New Testament, the, the writers never describe what Jesus looked like. Or we're told that on this Mount of Transfiguration that all of a sudden the face was as, as bright as the sun. We get that description. But there is no description of, of Jesus the man. His physical appearance apparently is unimportant to them. There's an Old Testament passage about a suffering servant and and it has been applied to Jesus. Isaiah would write, there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. Early Christians, early Christian thinkers like Tertullian and Justin Martyr believed that Jesus was physically unattractive. And there was even one second century figure named Celsius who described Jesus as ugly and small. But does it, does it, does it bother you at all to think that Jesus might not have have been good looking? That he might not have had this, this flowing brown hair and, and blue eyes? Does it bother you at all to think, you know what, Jesus probably wasn't white? <laughs> Marco, he was Hispanic, right? There you go. <laughs> it's like, Marco's like, everybody knows that. Sure. Come on. You know, some scholars believe it's possible that there was even something that was perhaps deformed about Jesus, that with his physical appearance that there was this unhealthy look about him that needed fixing. It is possible that in a world that often worships beauty rather than God, Jesus knew what it was like not to be beautiful. It's possible that his very physical appearance that in that appearance, he was actually saying to the world, be careful about judging things and people too quickly. 
If you only see what is on the surface, you are going to end up being deceived. You see, in the strange world of the kingdom of God, the frog turns out to be a prince and the ugly duckling is a beautiful swan. And the crucified carpenter is the king of kings and the lord of lords. There is another world and it's not far away and, and things are not as they seem. The transfiguration, that mountain comes as the ultimate expression of the kingdom of God. The disciples were allowed for a moment to see what Jesus already knew. That we live in a God-bathed and God-permeated world. That God is here and that God is present and that God is among us. Dallas Willard would write, It is a world that is inconceivably beautiful and good because of God and because God is always in it. It is a world in which God is continually at play and over which he constantly rejoices. And he says, until our thoughts of God have found every visible thing and event glorious with his presence, then the word of Jesus has not yet fully seized us. He says, look around, people. God is here. God is present. Disciples learned that day on a mountain. They learned on that mountain not to focus on Jesus' physical appearance, but instead to focus on his inner radiance. And I think it's a lesson that we would be very wise to remember. Let's not become so focused on the darkness that's around us that we become blind to the light that is within us. Satan would love for your vision to be filled with nothing but the hurt and the pain and the injustice of this world. Satan would love for you only to see the bad, for you only to focus on the evil. Satan would love for you to look around and to believe that darkness has won. Satan would love for you only, only to see those things that make you cry, for you only to see those things that break your heart, for you only to see those things that make you angry and hateful and vengeful. It's why we need to be reminded of a mountaintop verse. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, it says, The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The light that is within you, the light that shines, is greater than the darkness that's about us. And that is why John, who was on the mountain that day, when he would later go and he would write the story of Jesus, he would say, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Jesus invited Peter, James, and John to the mountain because he wanted them to share a very special experience, to create a new level of knowing and intimacy in their relationship. And he knew, he knew that that spiritual awakening begins with an experience of God, when we become aware to God's presence. And it might happen through something that's beautiful. Maybe it's a walk through the forest or a piece of music or a hike up a mountain. It might come through pain, through the loss of a job, through the end of a marriage, through a dire diagnosis. It could come through change. We fall in love. There's the birth of a child. It could come through the reading of Scripture. It might happen in a church service similar to this one. It could happen in prison, and it could be quite undramatic at all where all of a sudden we become aware to the fact that this world is not our home. 
We are just passing through. There is more to this life than what we see. And we become aware of the reality of the unseen and become like Jacob, who after an encounter with God said, surely the Lord was in this place and I was not aware of it. Can you hear the alarm ringing? Is the light shining through just a little bit this morning? Did you sleepwalk in here? Have you been sleeping the entire morning, the entire weekend, the entire week? Have you been sleeping this entire month, the entire year? Have you been sleeping for longer than you can remember? Then why not allow God to awaken you today to another world, to another existence? Is an existence where your sins do not have dominion over you? Your lust and passions do not have to control you? It's a world where your failures are not final. And it's a world where the light of God's Son reigns forever and directs the paths in which you walk. Would you like to experience that world? Then will you come today, broken, just as you are, to the mountain? Let's stand and sing.